to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up at the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Acts, chapter 8. Last week, in the end of chapter 7, we were introduced to a young man by the name of Saul who was a participant in the stoning of Stephen in that he consented unto his death and he sort of watched the coats of the fellows who were stoning Stephen to death. They laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Again, in the beginning of chapter 8, we again meet this young man, Saul. And it is interesting as we go on into the Uh, Book of Acts, he will become one of the major characters of the early church. But in chapter 8, we find Saul consenting unto his death, that is the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It would seem that Paul was one of the ringleaders spearheading this persecution against the church. Uh, We read in verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. In the 11th chapter, we are told that they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose over Stephen's death traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch as they were preaching the word to the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spoke to the Grecians, preaching to them the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. An interesting thing about this. They that were persecuted were scattered all over. Everywhere they went, 
they were preaching Christ. They were witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus. So though the persecution was heavy against the church, yet God used this persecution to spread the church throughout the whole area. It was and is always nice and comfortable to be surrounded by a strong body of people where we feel and draw strength from each other and we feel the strength that comes from a strong fellowship. And sometimes the fellowship is so good, our relationships so close that we feel, oh, you know, never want to leave this place. And that was the case there in Jerusalem. It was exciting. The Spirit of God was moving. There were miracles being wrought. Uh, it was a real movement of God, and a lot of people were anxious to become a part of that movement of God. They were content just to stay there and enjoy what God was doing. God allowed the persecution in order that they might be spread abroad through the whole area, in order that the gospel might be spread as they had to flee the persecution in Jerusalem. And so God's hand was in the persecution. Now, they went to Antioch, and they preached at the beginning only to the Jews, but then later some came from Cyprus, and we know that Barnabas was from Cyprus. And they preached to the Grecians or the Gentiles, and many believed. Now, as the work of God began among the Gentiles in Antioch, Barnabas then went to Tarsus, where Saul had more or less gone into um, a, a sort of just a state of secretion in a sense. Uh, he had, we'll get his conversion in chapter 9, and after his conversion, he came to the church in Jerusalem, but they really weren't too interested in him. Uh, he sort of got the brush off, the cold shoulder from the church in Jerusalem. And so he went back to his hometown of Tarshish. Now, Barnabas, who was active in this move of God in the Gentiles in Antioch, then went to Tarshish to look for Saul because he realized that Saul had the ideal kind of background to deal with the Grecians or the Gentiles who were coming to Christ in Antioch. So finding Saul, he brought him to the church in Antioch and Paul and or Saul, and, and his name was changed to Paul, and Barnabas became really the spiritual leaders of this 
Gentile church in Antioch. You see, Paul grew up in Tarsus. And growing up in Tarsus, he uh, became acquainted with the Grecian culture. However, being raised in a Jewish home and then coming to Jerusalem to go to school under the rabbi Gamaliel, he became very versed in the Hebrew culture and in the Hebrew scriptures. So here you have a man well-versed in the scriptures, yet knowing well the Grecian culture. So he is able and ideally fit by the Lord to have this great ministry among the Gentiles, uh, which we will read about in the book of Acts as we continue. But the, the thing that sort of interests, interests me, Saul was one of the chief persecutors that caused the people to flee as far as Antioch, where the gospel was preached, and then later that's where Paul came back uh, in order to begin his ministry right there in Antioch. So God has an interesting way of just sort of, you know, working things around. And, and it's fun to watch God as he works these things. Uh, and uh, so he, through the persecution of Saul, the, the work was started in Antioch, which he later came back to become a key leader. In Acts 22.20, Paul is sharing his testimony to the Jews there in Jerusalem. He had come back to Jerusalem desiring to be there for the feast. He had collected from the Gentile churches support for the church in Jerusalem that was going through hard times financially. While he was there, James said, Now, Paul, you know, you're a controversial character. And, and even the Jews within the church had difficulty with Paul's liberty in Christ and his openness to share with the Gentiles. So James says, Now, look, Paul, we don't want you stirring up trouble. I mean, the people are suspicious about you and also... Uh, show them that you're a good Jewish boy. And uh, we have a couple of young fellows that want to observe the feast and they have to go through these purification rites as Paul had to go through too. And they said, why don't you sponsor them? Uh, because in going through the purification rites, you really couldn't work. You, you just had to sort of devote yourself fully to this purification bit so you could... Uh, and why don't you, you know cover their expenses. So when people say, what's he doing here? We can say, oh, well, now, nah, good Jewish boy. He actually, he's actually covering the expenses of these other young fellows that want to observe the feast and all. So uh, Paul, uh, wanting to, and his, his sort of motto was, he told it to the Romans, live peaceably with all men as much as lieth in you. He says, when I'm with the Jews, I can be like a Jew. When I'm with the Gentiles or Romans, I can be like the Romans. I'm all things to all men that I might gain the more. So he had that non-confrontive kind of a thing, you know, just flow it, doesn't matter. Sure, do that, you know. But while he was there on the temple grounds, some of the Jews that had come across his path in Asia where he had been preaching to the Gentiles, said, this is the guy 
that's preaching among the Gentiles. And he's a Jew. What's he doing here in the temple? And so they said he's brought Gentiles into the temple, which was not true. But they uh, started beating him up. And uh, the Roman guard that was there at the Antonio Fortress saw the tumult down in the Temple Mount. They came down and they rescued Paul out of the hands of these irate Jews. So as they came back to the Antonio Fortress, Paul was under protective custody of the Roman soldiers. As they got up on the porch there above the Jews that were on the mount down below, Paul said to the captain, can I speak to them a minute? And he said, sure, go ahead. And so Paul said, hey, fellas, you're my brothers. I know where you're at. I, I was just like you. And he began to try to relate to them because a lot of them had been students under Gamaliel with him my classmates. I know how you feel. I felt that way once myself. And he went on to share with them, when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting to his death. And I kept the raiment of those that slew him. So Paul is trying to identify with them and let them identify with him so that he could share with them his wonderful conversion to Jesus Christ. In the 23rd or 22nd chapter, verse 3, as he uh, began to talk to them, he said, I am verily a man, a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And I was taught according to the perfect or complete manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous towards God as all of you are today. I persecuted this way unto the death. That is, those who had come to believe in Jesus, Paul persecuted them unto death, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. And he said, I thought that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which I did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received the authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I voted against them. I punished them, he said, in every synagogue. This is in his testimony to King Agrippa. And I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly angry against them, I persecuted them unto strange cities. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles and not really fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Later on, it, it, it bothered Paul that he had actually forced people to blaspheme the name of Jesus. He actually had imprisoned people and voted for their death. To the Galatians he wrote, For you have heard of my manner of living in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. 
in his letter to the Philippians, as he is sort of uh, giving his background, he said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And in 1 Timothy, he said, I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The background of the great apostle Paul, whom God used in such a mighty way, and of course to whom we are so indebted as Gentile believers, as we have these tremendous epistles of Paul upon which uh, our church doctrine is is heavily based. The uh, writings and the teachings of Paul give us a tremendous foundation for our theology today. So uh, in chapter 8, we again get a little glimpse of him, of his persecution of the church. Chapter 9, we'll get his conversion on the road to Damascus. Uh, We read here in verse 2 that as far as Stephen is concerned, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. It was a real shock to the church uh, that Stephen, uh, chosen as one of the seven to uh, a position of uh, trustworthiness within the church, that he was stoned to death. Then Philip, during this persecution, verse 4, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, here again, he is not an apostle. He was what might be classified a deacon in the church. His was originally not a spiritual ministry as much as it was just a taking care of distributing the church's goods, seeing that the people were taken care of. It's interesting how many fellows are in the ministry today around the country who were once the janitors here at Calvary Chapel. They were faithful in their ministry as janitors, and God opened up the doors for them, and today they are ministering for Jesus Christ around the country and having powerful and strong ministries. This past week, we had gathered with many of the uh, leading pastors of the Calvary chapels around the country, and uh, interesting to, to see these fellows and to realize that once they were just the kids around here picking up papers and doing the menial task and now 
God is using them powerfully in the ministry. So here is Philip. Again, not an apostle, but yet faithful where God had placed him, and now God is using him in a very powerful way. God, through him, is working miracles. And the people are being attracted and drawn because of the miracles. And he tells us what was happening. For unclean spirits or demons, crying out with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many who were taken with the palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You know, wherever God is working, one of the byproducts of the work of God is joy. What a joy it is to see God at work. I mean, just a thrill. And, and it's uh, so wonderful to just see the hand of God at work. And so often through the New Testament, the result of the work of God's Spirit in a person's life is joy. It is interesting as Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, the first characteristic of this love is, he said, joy. Just such joy. And so there was great joy in that city of Samaria. But there was a certain man, he was called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. And he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Uh, he was sort of a mystic. Uh, he uh, was able to do things that... Uh, caused wonderment among the people. Uh, they all of them sort of held him in esteem as some uh, recognizing that there was some kind of spiritual powers about this man to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying that this man is the great power of God. He has God's power. And they had actually honored him because for a long time he had bewitched them with his sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They were leaving their uh, adulation and all of uh, this Simon and were being attracted to the ministry of Philip and were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself, the sorcerer, believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, wondering as he beheld the miracles and signs which were done. Now, he was probably using a lot of sleight of hand, illusion, uh, and 
all, when he saw Philip, he tried to figure out how did he do that one, you know. And uh, it is interesting how that uh, those fellows who are uh, called magicians, of course, we all know that there's a trick to it, but uh, they use the sleight of hand and all. They, they see a magician that does an interesting trick and they try to figure it out and they actually sell the secrets to each other of how the trick is done. Uh, it's a marketable item. If you have a great trick and all, uh, it's a marketable item among those who are practicing uh, the art of ledger domain. So uh, he was probably... Uh, trying to figure out now just what's he doing and so when the apostles which were at Jerusalem remember uh, they stayed in Jerusalem they were powerful enough that uh, they didn't have to bend to the uh, persecution they remained in Jerusalem uh, you remember that uh, the religious leaders were afraid to arrest Jesus openly because so many people uh, were drawn to him and believed in him uh, that uh, they had to conspire with Judas to, to catch him when no one was around and to get the whole thing over before people realized what was happening. Uh, now with uh, the apostles, there's such a power of God working among them. So many people's lives have been touched, uh, friends have been healed, that the religious leaders were sort of helpless to do much about them. So uh, they more or less uh, were free to remain in Jerusalem where uh, just the little nobodies like us had to scatter all over the place. Uh, so uh, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in the city of Samaria had received the gospel. And so they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is interesting to me. Here is Philip, God is using him with miracles, with signs and wonders, delivering people from demonic powers. The lame are walking. Marvelous work of the Spirit through Philip. And yet, the people had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And the interesting thing to me is that Philip evidently did not have that gift of laying his hands on people that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John did. But here is Philip with other gifts, but not that particular gift. 
Paul the Apostle, in talking about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, points out the fact that the Spirit divides the gifts to each man severally as he wills. But not all have the gift of healing. Not all have the gift of an evangelist. Not all have the gift of speaking in tongues. Not all have the gift of interpretation of tongues. So that here is Philip, gifted, powerfully gifted of the Spirit, but yet not in this particular realm. So it is possible for you to have gifts of the Spirit, but not all of the gifts of the Spirit. Thus, we each share what God has done in our lives. We each contribute of those gifts that God has given unto us. But we are all the body of Christ. And whatever gift you have is important for the whole body. God has given to me certain gifts. And I recognize those gifts that God has given to me, and I'm very appreciative of the gifts that God has given. There are gifts that I wish I had that I do not have. And I have coveted earnestly some of these other gifts, but God has seen fit not to give them to me. But God has given to others within the fellowship some of these other gifts. They are all important, and together we make up the whole body. But none of us individually make up the body. It takes all of us to make up the whole body of Christ. And a lot of times people feel, well, my gift is so unimportant and nobody really has a chance. To, they don't know what God's doing in my life, and, and, and they, they are have a tendency because their gift is not a prominent type of gift where it receives public attention. They think that it's not important. There are many people here who have the gift of intercessory prayer. I think that that is probably one of the most important gifts at Calvary Chapel, and it's what keeps us going more than anything else those with the gift of intercessory prayer. Oh, what an asset, what a blessing they are. And we all benefit, but you don't know who they are. But God has chosen to place the greater honor on some of these whose gifts are not prominent, recognized, but those who are faithful in the exercise of their gifts, uh, which are not really prominent or outstanding as far as the church is concerned, but God has chosen to place on them the, more, the greater beauty of, of their gifts. And so we, each one of us, exercise the gifts that God has given. But, and, and of course, my gift, the gift of teaching, it, you know, I guess I'm sort of a mouth in the body and uh, the mouth always gets attention, you know. So uh, yet 
when we come before the Lord, you know, we always think that, that those who are in a more prominent position, uh, boy, when we stand before the Lord to uh, receive the rewards for the things done in our body, we think, man, he's going to be right up there at the top. Oh, boy, you know, uh-uh. Those that are right up there at the top, you'll be surprised. You say, who are they? Where'd they come from? I never saw them before. And, and God has chosen to bestow upon them the, the more abundant glory. Oh, way back somewhere in the peanut gallery, you might find me if you look hard enough. But uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, we're going to have a lot of surprises when we get to heaven. Um, Jesus said when you pray go in your closet shut the door pray to your father which seeth in secret and your father which seeth in secret will reward you openly that day will come when God will reward you for the faithfulness in the exercise of that gift that he has given to you to benefit the whole church so Peter and John came. They had the gift of the laying on of hands that the people might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Now, notice they were believers and they had been baptized, which would mean that the Holy Spirit was in them but he had not fallen hippie upon them. And this Greek preposition hippie is used to describe a relationship to the Holy Spirit where he comes over you or overflows from you. You see, it is one thing to have the Holy Spirit in you, doing his work within that work of conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's one thing, the Spirit dwelling in you. It's quite another thing to have the Spirit flowing forth from you, the dynamic that flows forth from your life. And this is what they were receiving, this releasing of the Spirit where he's not just within, but now he is flowing forth from what Jesus described in John seven thirty seven, when he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that drinketh of the water that I give, as the scripture saith, out of his innermost being there will gush torrents of living water. And John tells us this, he was speaking of the spirit which was not yet given, the overflow. And so as Peter and John would lay their hands on the people, they would receive this releasing, this overflowing of the Holy Spirit from their lives. So when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this power. Is he... He's a magician, and he sees now this interesting thing, and I'd like to buy that trick. Uh, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. 
This is known as simony. From his name, Simon. It became a curse in the church. That is, the buying of position of power within the church. There was a period uh, in the Catholic Church from about 984 to about the year 1012 where the office of the Pope was sold to the highest bidders. And uh, they didn't last long in those days. The Pope's uh, time in office were very short. And uh, they were purchased and there was open bribery and all and uh, they were selling the church offices uh, it was a dark it was part of the dark ages it's, it's why they were called the dark ages um, and uh, for instance Pope John the 19th who was the Pope from 1024 to 1033 bought the papacy he passed through all of the necessary clerical degrees in one day. Um, pope Benedict the Ninth was made the Pope when he was just 12 years old uh, through a money bargain with the powerful families that ruled Rome. And uh, he was, of course, one of the most wicked of all of the popes. Um, some call him the worst of the popes. But uh, here was that thought that of sort of seeking to purchase position and power. So Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. There are many people today who think that God's favor can be purchased with money. God's gifts can be purchased with money. I cringe when on some of the telethons they give a very strong suggestion that because someone donated a certain amount of money that a relative that they were praying for so many years got saved after they made their donation. And, and the intimation is that you can maybe buy God's gifts you can buy healing for a friend or, you know, you can purchase salvation for a loved one. It, it gives that kind of uh, suggestion, which is blasphemy, absolute blasphemy. And the very thing that Peter rebuked Simon and was so 
heavy on him for the suggestion that God's gifts could be purchased. Uh, It's a heavy-duty thing. There are people who try to purchase salvation. They think that by a great contribution to the church that, you know, they will stand in good stead with God. Some of the greatest contributors to the church in New York and New Jersey and all are the mafia. And, and they're trying to, you know, well, I gave to the church, you know. And, and unfortunately, the church sometimes sort of curries that. Not so. The gifts of God are not to be bartered. They're not to be sold. They're imparted by the grace of God as the Spirit sovereignly dispenses them. So Peter said, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now here's Peter exercising another gift. The gift of discernment of spirits. Here Simon was attracted to the ministry that Philip had. He was baptized. And he was sort of accompanying Philip. But all the while, he was inside looking again for that recognition that he once had among the people as they were looking up to him as some great spiritual man. Now with the genuine power of God being manifested through Philip, that attention and glory that he once had was being transferred to Jesus Christ. And so he's wanting again to have that kind of power over the people, thinking that he can maybe purchase it from Peter and John. But Peter discerns his heart. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. And so Peter said, repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven. The motive. Why do I want these things? What is the motive of my heart? And that's something that We don't always know ourselves. For the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, the scripture says. Who can know it? But God said, I search the hearts. And in searching the heart of this fellow, Simon, it was full of gall and bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified, 
and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. Going back to Jerusalem, they stopped in many of the villages preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the angel of the Lord then spoke to Philip. And he said, Arise and go toward the south unto the way or the path or the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and he went, and behold, there was a man of Ethiopia. He was a eunuch of great authority under Candace, or Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury. So he was the treasurer of the nation of Ethiopia. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. There was a yearning for God, which is universal. And in his search and quest for God, he came to Jerusalem. And there he got the scriptures. And he was heading back towards Ethiopia, still searching. I do believe that God does honor the heart that is searching after him. And I believe that God will reveal himself to that honest heart that is truly seeking him. There are many interesting stories of tribal groups, people in remote areas of the world who when the missionaries came to share with them the truth of Jesus Christ, the people have said, we've always believed in him, we just didn't know his name. God had revealed. And I believe that God is, is faithful to reveal himself to every hungry heart. God saw this man as he journeyed from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to find God. God saw this man in his disappointment in Jerusalem because the religious system had become corrupted. It had become commercialized. And he was going back to Ethiopia not having found God. God willing that this man should know him spoke to Philip up in Samaria in the midst of this marvelous move of God and commands him to go down to this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It goes through desert areas. And there when he arrived, he saw the chariot. And God said, join yourself to the chariot. And so as he came up to the chariot, 
He saw this man. He was reading the scriptures. He happened to have the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I accept someone guide me? And he invited Philip to come up into the chariot with him. And he said, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? The particular passage of Isaiah that he was reading was in Isaiah 53. And he was reading, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb that is dumb before her shear, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? That whole 53rd chapter, of course, is speaking of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of his death. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. It's, it's, he was reading this passage, Isaiah 53. Oh, fortunately, he's reading that one. No, you can read anywhere in the Old Testament and find Jesus. It says, Philip began at that verse and preached unto him Jesus. And you can do that with any verse in the Old Testament. You can start at that verse and preach Jesus because the Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ. You do search the scriptures, Jesus said, for in them you think you have life, but actually they testify of me. But you won't come to me, Jesus said, that you might have life. Paul speaks about how the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit gives life. Just a study of the Scriptures intellectually will not benefit you. You need the Holy Spirit to open up the Scriptures to your heart to give you true understanding of the Scriptures. The natural man does not understand the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But he which is spiritual understands all things, though he is not understood. I would take one of our junior high school children who have been studying the Bible and love the Lord fervently, filled with the Spirit. And I would trust their understanding of the Scripture much more than I would the PhDs who are teaching religion at USC. Because the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them. They are spiritually discerned. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And we need the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not testify of himself, but he will testify of me. 
And as you read the word with the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, he shows you Jesus in the scriptures all the way through. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the inner battle, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 8 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. In this hectic week, South Coast Plaza on the Sunday before Christmas, what a zoo. (laughs) And this week before Christmas is so oftentimes hectic. They're out of what you were planning to get, you know. And now it throws a whole new dilemma on this (laughs) problem of giving the gift. But may the Lord see you through the whole malaise. And may the giving of the gifts to each other become secondary as our relationship with God is enriched and becomes more meaningful as we remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And thus, through it all, may the Lord be magnified and may you be drawn close to him. And thus, may your Christmas be a very meaningful day of sharing God's love, receiving God's joy, and experiencing the peace of God which passes human understanding. May indeed you know the joy that he came to bring to this world, the peace on earth and the goodwill. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today has published a New Testament designed for an unbeliever or a new believer, just as much as it is for a Bible teacher. Highlights include Pastor Chuck's commentaries that get right to the point on Scripture passages, words of Christ in red for easy reading, an A through Z topical Scripture index covering over 250 topics relevant to life application and a section that answers frequently asked questions such as, is there evidence of Christ's resurrection? And what's God's will for my life? So if you're looking for a Bible to give to a friend, or if you're a ministry that's been searching for a simple New Testament that does most of the teaching for you, 
then you'll enjoy the Word for Today New Testament with Pastor Chuck's commentary notes. To order, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org. 